Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family, it is time once again for you to step out of those closets, make your bold move, and live life the way you want to live it. And happy Pride! We are winding down Pride Month. We're stepping into July. It'll be July 3rd. Yes, we're here. Gosh, tomorrow's the 4th. And i uh, really excited to be bringing this particular guest back. And um, we did a podcast a few months ago around mixed orientation marriages and what it's like to be in one and then explored a lot of her experience being with someone who was hiding his truth and we just hit it off and I thought this would be a great way to wrap up the Pride Month celebrations by truly looking at how do we build bridges and I'm bringing back my friend Aideen because her and I had some good conversations around this I want to keep having those conversations. So welcome back to the show, Aideen. Glad to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Rick. I'm thrilled to be back. Yeah. So for those who may not have heard the last episode, let's kind of just like in a nutshell, you kind of share, you know, your experience because it's not just having lived with a gay man, but there's a whole bunch, but like, let's give them a nutshell so we can then jump off to what we really want to talk about here. So the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. Okay, so here's my elevator speech. When I was eight years old, my parents joined a religious cult, and they were abusive. They were zealous members of this religious cult, and I stayed in that cult until I was about 22, 23, and on my way out of the cult is when I crossed paths with my closeted uh, gay ex-husband now, and having zero Um, education about sex, having had zero experience with men, and also zero understanding of homosexuality in its realistic context. Of course, I was taught that it was a sin, etc., but that, you know, I was was given a very distorted view of homosexuality. And so then I ended up married to him for about 20 years, and um, that divorced about eight years ago, and I ended up in the middle of my 30s, I ended up being a complete mess. Um, And I say that with no judgment whatsoever. But after the abuse that I suffered from my parents in the religious cult, then the abuse that I continued to suffer from my closeted gay ex-husband, I ended up a pack a day smoker, a heavy drinker, chronically very overweight, and on a very high dose of antidepressants because I was very suicidal for about seven years. So I pulled myself out of that. And I am Rocking my life today. Rocking my exquisite purple life today. <laughs> and yeah, so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your book? Because your book is part of the reason you were on the podcast last time. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to dive into what we yeah. hear today. Well, the, my book is called My Exquisite Purple Life. Then the subtitle is Insights from a Woman Who Never Should Have Made It But Did. And it's really a, it's a collection of stories from my life. By the end of the book, you do have a really uh, full picture of what I've gone through so far in my life. 
but it's all organized categorically around insights and topics that I have pondered and explored and life lessons I've learned. Like, for example, there's a whole chapter entitled, It, um, it Wasn't My Fault, But It Was My Responsibility. Um, so, so yeah, so that's really the crux of it. I, I did not want to write a book just for salacious gossip and shock value. My life has those elements, but I wanted a higher purpose. So very similar to your book, Rick, mm -hmm. and you know how you shared so many powerful lessons and exercises and, you know, how to type stuff. I, that's really the crux of my book as well. You know, and I think that's a <clears throat> really good place for us to jump off because it wasn't your fault, but it was your responsibility. I think that's where you and I definitely came to a similar space in our last conversation that, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a lot of stuff going on here in my throat. Sorry about that listeners. But um, where a lot of people who, who end up entering into a mixed orientation marriage, while they do have a choice at times it really isn't their fault that they're stepping into it. And I'm mm -hmm. going to caveat that with present day. I'm not going to give as much weight to what I'm just saying, because I think in this day and age, you should be well enough informed, even though there is still similar pressures. Um, but you, you do have some choice, but sometimes you feel all those pressures from everyone else that, okay, this is what I'm supposed to go do. You get led to believe that you can change things, all that sort of stuff. And so while it may not be a hundred percent your fault, it is your responsibility to realize what you're doing. And mm -hmm. I think it's part of where we can start to build the bridges, which is really why Aiden and I are really wanting to have this conversation to do, because oftentimes through these journeys, there is no bridges that seem can be built between in-laws and ex-in-laws and ex-husbands and ex-wives. And we both believe, at least how we've worked together in the past, that there are bridges. There are oh, truly yeah. some bridges that can be built. And um, so for you, Aideen, what do you feel like is like a first step? Uh, I kind of like to, <laughs> we'll just kind of go back and forth on some of these things, you know, and you feel free to ask me a question too. But um, what do you feel like is a first step to starting that bridge building? Well, I feel like it's so easy for us, um, regardless of the confrontation. You know, and we're talking about the confrontation in a mixed orientation marriage and when that gets exposed and when the truth of that comes to light. But regardless of the confrontation across our entire world, it's so easy for us to get polarized and defensive and you know you can't blame me and it's not my fault and you have to understand why i did this and the other side feels invalidated and wants and feels like their only recourse to be validated and also to um get amends made is to place blame and to say yes it's all your fault it's all your fault and the other side's going no it's not my fault and there is this, I really strongly believe, and it's why I dedicated a whole chapter of my book to it, there is this middle ground. Mm -hmm. It was not, and, and I spoke in my book about it, first of all, in addressing my life and the choices that I'd made for my life. So really, like I said, you know, at the very beginning of this conversation, when I was in my middle 30s and I was a pack-a-day smoker and I was a very heavy mm -hmm. drinker and I was suicidal and all the rest of that, I had so much self-judgment and yep. so much um, self-loathing. And yet there was a part of me that was crying out. So I had this battle going on inside myself. 
you know, yeah. I was saying to myself, you suck, you suck, you suck. And I was like, but it's not my fault. You understand? I'm so hurt and I was so damaged and I was abused. And, you know, and so, I, but I had to come to this place inside myself first where I said, okay, 80, yeah, it's not your fault, sweetie. It is not your fault. Yeah. But it is your responsibility. And so I think when, you know, when you ask about that first step, I think that it is important for both sides in our community, both gay spouses, you know, the, well, let's broaden it and say LGBTQ spouses mm-hmm. and straight spouses to the best of their ability. And I know it is hard. It's very hard. The emotions are so raw and they're so overwhelming but to the best of our ability is to set down that defensiveness and that need to vilify and make wrong the other side. And then to start, and, but when, so when the other side sets down that accusation, your side must rise up and say, okay, thank you very much. Thank you for not for releasing that vilification. Now let me allow me to demonstrate how I take responsibility mm-hmm. for what I did that caused pain. And I mean that on both sides. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. And I think what happens so often is in the moments where a gay spouse is trying to explain things, if, if they start getting attacked, which part of the attack is very justified, then suddenly they can really easily flip to, well, okay, this isn't just all about me. And what I mm-hmm. think is tough is, and you having been through this, because we talked about this before, but what I think is tough is separating all the other crap that was wrong in the marriage from uh-huh. this issue. Yes, 90% of the time, there are other things wrong in the marriage. Okay. Yeah. That's those things are part of it too, but this is the big thing. So let's deal with this thing. And if you can walk through and you can have as civil a conversations as you can around this and try to both be empathetic and be compassionate and, and to the best of your abilities, it's not always going to be easy. I think then you can either say the other stuff doesn't really matter because this is the real truth. This truth is what's really pushing you forward. What I see happen too often is suddenly then if you weren't compatible financially, if you didn't have the same dreams about children and building a home and a life together, suddenly those become weapons. And that isn't necessarily the healthiest way to go. You can talk about those things, but I've seen too many people start to use those as weapons. And then suddenly you're in a chaotic place where you can't get to the source. You can't get past mm-hmm. it because now everything is one lob and then the other one will lob and then another one will yeah. lob. And it is hard to admit, okay, here's my truth. My truth is I'm gay. And yes, I had made the choice that I made. I chose to try to make this work for whatever the reasons are. Stick there. <laughs> stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Because I don't think, and you can probably speak to this, Aideen, I don't really think it's going to matter that, oh, and by the way, we weren't financially compatible. And oh, by the way, you didn't have the same dreams. None of that stuff matters at this moment. It really isn't going to play to the big thing. Nor if you start with, well, we're not financially compatible and you don't have these dreams and da, 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 da. And oh, by the way, I'm gay. (laughs) Just own what you own, period. Because I don't think coming from the other direction, then finally go, oh, and by the way, I'm gay on top of this. 
it's almost like you were trying to soften the blow. And then here's the big blow in my book. And again, this is just my perspective, folks. So do with it what you want. I find when you own who you are, it's so much easier to just go through this. Own it. Because if you are gay, if you are lesbian, if you are bi, if you are trans, if you own it, you are going to go through so much more, so much easier than avoiding owning it. Yeah. Well, that too. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's, and I think part of the reason why I understand it so well is because I had to do so much of my own Mm -hmm. owning it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I was not, you know, I had two affairs in my marriage. I, again, you know, I was a smoker, I was a drinker, I was suicidal, et cetera. I did not want to be crucified and vilified for all of my very glaring faults and shortcomings and ways that I had stumbled. So I needed to own those things. And so like, when and and unfortunately in my scenario my ex-husband never well I can't say never he came out of the closet and then over the course of six months ran right back in and you know he he has not ever fully acknowledged and owned the fact that you know there was that he was misrepresenting himself when we got married um but that's a whole nother (laughs) that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down right but I think that you know the thing is Another thing that I can I see in these dialogues is when we don't have the ability or exercise the um, bigness, if you will, to stretch ourselves and lay down that uh, vicious blaming and criticism. And, and when we want, because the thing is, it's like I there were other things I had to own also like, hello, why was I staying in a marriage that was Mm -hmm. so painful and so abusive and such a desert when it came to affection and, Mm -hmm. you know, the rest of that and sex. But I think what you just said, Aideen is a, is is a key thing. That's why I'm interrupting. This is whether, whether your spouse is coming out of the closet or not, this is the thing that you have to own some of your responsibility for standing in a relationship that's not working. And right. I think too many people don't say, oh, yeah, I need to own that too. Right. You know, as things began to somewhat unravel, my ex-wife needed to own the fact that she was putting a ton of pressure on me to like, okay, you just go make the money and I want to sit at home. And I couldn't do it. And we had many, many arguments about that. Yeah. It had nothing to do with being gay, but there's pieces of this that was like, oh my God, I'm... I can't do this. Now, this is, again, not justifying what I did because what I did wasn't right. Cheating all that stuff wasn't right. But I realized those bad things don't define who I am. But when I was being pushed to, you need to go make the money. I need to be able to stay home. You need to provide me. All it made me want to do is go run and hide in that other life because it was the only escape I felt like, okay, I can be myself. And then, of course, as soon as I go and do it, I feel even worse because that wasn't satisfying me either. There was no, yeah. there was nothing there. There was no, yeah. it was hopeless because this is, I was accepting, okay, well, this is as good as it's going to get. So then it's either mm-hmm. I'm going to be a shit and I'm going to be a schmuck and I'm going to cheat for the rest of my life. Or I'm going to be the husband who's hated on because he can't give the wife what she wants, which I would love to have. I mean, you know, and it's an interesting thing. I do wonder from time to time if, if financially I would have been able to do what I'm going to say she, but would have been a we as well could have done where she could have stayed home and raised the kids. 
I wonder what our life would be like. And this hit me about a month ago. And then I guess the reason this hit me is because we are literally coming up on October will be 20 years from when mm-hmm. all this happened. Yeah. And I go, wow, I wonder if 20 years ago, if I had found a way to just get through this at 56 years old, would I still be sneaking out of the house? Would I still be doing something? I mean, I know I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now as far as podcasting and help, you know, I don't, none of that would have existed, but it's just such an interesting space. So, um, but I just wanted to, you know, I know that's a long interruption to what you were saying, but I think it is that ownership of we tend to be all driven to like, it's you, not me. Yeah. And part of the peace and the healing, I believe, comes when you go, oh, yeah, I need to own that. That's so fascinating that you brought that up. Like, what if you had been able to pull off kind of that picture that she wanted? And why I find it to be so fascinating is that's the scenario that I had with my, you know, closeted gay ex-husband. Mm-hmm. He was a medical doctor and he made um, plenty of money so that I could stay home. I did, I did go back and get a second degree and then start my own business. And I, I did my own things, but I didn't do it uh, full time. And I did it in and around our daughters. And we had a very, very nice standard of living. Mm-hmm. We really, really did. And I was still suicidal. And I don't know, um, you know, because, and, and I, I'm, I'm not going to like layer my scenario onto your scenario because two completely different sets of people. But it, no amount of money in the whole wide world would have fixed the lack of or the incompatibility between us sexually. And, you know, we talked about this in our last interview. I was not his home. Mm-hmm. He, you know, it, 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 sexual orientation comes down to where do you feel at home? And yep. he is a gay man. He would never feel at home with a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because he used to try and throw it, he not try, he did throw it in my face multiple times that he provided me with this amazing standard of living. As if and that's supposed I, to make everything right. That's Yes, oh yes, exactly. Yeah. So in the fact, so what I used to say, because, you know, I always say the red hair is real, so I can mm-hmm. get real feisty at times. And I said to him after he had thrown that in my face a couple of times, I said to him, if I had known what I was agreeing to when we got married, if I had known that I was not going to get the emotional intimacy, the physical intimacy, the sexual mm-hmm. intimacy, the spiritual intimacy, and the true partnership, I said to him, there would have been, had to have been a hell of a lot more money. a hell of a lot more money. I said there would have been a villa in France. I would have a chauffeur. I would have a private chef. I said, you better believe I would not have sacrificed everything Mm. that I didn't know that I was sacrificing. And I would not have settled for what I did not know I was settling for, for, for the standard of living that we had, which was quite nice. But I was like, no, 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 no. I I would have had a higher price than that. Mm Exactly. But I just, I, if you don't mind, Rick, I just want to jump back to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I just wanted to catch that before we let it go. So yeah, because yeah. one of the things, and I, tell me where I'm wrong on this, because I'm, I'm going to guess you see this in your work with your clients on the other, from, from the other end of it, is that when one or both of the spouses, either the straight spouse or the coming out gay LGBTQ spouse, when they are locked in that attack and blame and vilify mode, what happens, what I've seen happen a lot is that it pushes the gay spouse to a place where they just snap. And the Mm -hmm. LGBTQ 
spouse will just say, you know what, that's it. You just need to deal with it. I'm gay or I'm lesbian and just suck it up. Mm-hmm. And that is so incredibly painful for the straight spouse because we then, of course, feel so incredibly invalidated by that. Right. And, but I wonder, and of course, I don't have, you know, I'm not spying into every single mixed orientation marriage as it's unraveling. But sometimes I wonder when I see the gay spouse or the LGBTQ spouse do that, I think, I, I wonder if if we were able to set down that uh, blame and that crucifying, n- not release the person from their responsibility, mm-hmm. but to get out of that blame game, if if people wouldn't have more of an opportunity to rise into their responsibility. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if, a, if a straight spouse lays down the blame and the LGBTQ spouse is still in that place of, you know, oh, yeah, it's not my fault. Too bad. Sucks. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, sorry. You know, then, then there's another problem that gets yeah. created. But, yeah. I think sometimes, and I've seen this... I don't know if I've seen it a lot, but I observe it in different ways that the gay spouse, lesbian, bi, trans, whatever. I don't see a lot in trans because I don't work with them that often, but I think it's a lashing out at somebody else that that spouse represents. And what I mean by that, so I'll use my own experience. There were times that I would lash out at my now ex-wife as everything was unraveling simply because of something she would say or some way she would act that reminded me of my parents and everything that makes perfect sense now it may be parents or it could be someone in a community or it could be somebody in a faith base that's like so adamant about this is what it is and so because that person happens to be the closest to the situation and then they do something that like causes the flare, so to speak. Right. I think that's one reason. The other reason I think the lash out is what we already talked about. They don't want to take ownership. Yeah. So it's so much easier when we don't want to take ownership to put it on somebody else because we're not really, we're not capable of dealing with our own crap in that moment. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, whatever this, anytime this is going down, but I notice it more when somebody is coming out of the closet, that if they're not fully engaged, they're not fully, first, if they're not accepting of themselves, I can always spot that one. That's another one. If they haven't yeah. fully accepted themselves, then they're going to use everything they can to deflect. I don't want anybody yeah. to know that I really haven't wrapped myself arms around myself yet. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that comes up is if that person represents somebody else. And then the third thing that I've seen happen numerous times is they don't know how to see themselves yet as who they want to be in their own skin they may have accepted and they may be not being button pushed by you know some reflection of somebody else but they're still trying to figure out okay for all these years i've been told i can't be who i am and so if they are having trouble settling into what does it look like to be the gay rick you know for myself example then any little button I'm going to push it away because wait, you haven't given me enough time. You haven't, but they won't say that it would be so much healthier to say, you know what? I really don't, I don't know how to address this right now because I'm figuring out who I am and I have been told I can't be who I am. And if I say what I'm going to say, it's not going to come out the way I I want it to. 
But when was the last time anybody really did that? I mean, I try to do that even in my current life. But I, I think you start to layer all these things on and as weird as this is going to sound for any straight spouses who may be listening to this, I often think there's an internalized, I don't like who I am because what I'm doing to you, but I don't know how to rectify this. So the only thing I can do is be an asshole. Oh, I do get that. And I would have to say that I've witnessed that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that's another layer of an inability to take responsibility because we mix, we mix faults and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so when, if the LGBTQ spouse is feeling like taking responsibility for what I have done means right. that I am at fault and I am wrong and bad. That's a natural thing for anyone to reject. I mean, I mm -hmm. was raised in a religious cult where I was made to feel wrong and bad all the time. Yep. I know what that feels like. And I also validate and legitimize and support people rejecting any way that they are uh, making themselves wrong or feeling wrong or bad. But again, that's why, you know, that's why I make this delineation. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yes. And one of the things that brought me to that place was a realization that like, so I would love to not have to take responsibility for the things that I have done in my life mm -hmm. that have caused other people pain that caused me myself pain, etc. cetera. Um, I would love to. And yet the come to Jesus place I had a meeting that I had to have with myself was, Hey, guess what, 80, someday you're going to wish yep. that someone else would take responsibility for how they have wronged you. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to be in a position where you actually want that from someone else, you need to show up and take responsibility yourself. And of mm -hmm. course I was in that I have been in that dynamic with my biological parents who raised me in the cult where they never did and still don't take responsibility for how they wronged me and, and how abusive that situation was. You know, they still continue to this day to yep. make excuses and you have to understand that I did it all out of love and da 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 da. Nope. Uh, please take responsibility for it, you know, so yeah. And I find it also interesting when I hear a gay spouse, and again, mostly men, I haven't dealt with a lot of women in this arena yet. I mean, I've dealt with women, but I haven't seen this happen with women as much. When I hear a gay spouse coming out and he says, well, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've given her the home, I've given her kids, I've done this, I've done that. I say, so let me say what you just said to you. And they get really quiet after they hear me say it. And I said, so what you just said, tell me what age that statement sounds like you are when you're saying something like that. And there's a purpose to why I say that. Right. Yeah, I understand. Because what I want him to get is, okay, you're acting like a spoiled little teenage brat. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm bringing it forward so they can hear it. Yeah. Because for many of those guys and women as well, but again, I only have seen this so much in the male, gay male culture. Their entire teenage life got taken away from them. Yes. Because they didn't get to experience what it was like to be a gay teenager. Right. So suddenly, here we are, we're coming out at 35, 40, 45, 50, whatever it is. And the little gay teenage boy shows up in all his beautiful glory. 
his immaturity yeah. sexually, his immaturity as a gay man, his immaturity as a man, it all happens. And sometimes that little immaturity will show up in, oh, I've given her all this, I've done this, I've done that, I've done... And that's why I love to throw that piece into the equation. And again, it's not to criticize. And it's like, let me help you hear yourself. So you can yeah. recognize you are in your gay adolescence right now. Well, and there's another piece to that as well. Of, if you don't mind me jumping yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, jump um, in. There's another piece to that that is kind of almost a darker side to yep. those kinds of statements. They're incredibly dehumanizing because what you are saying, I mean, that's like what my ex-husband tried to say to me is I've provided you with this wonderful standard of living and da da da, da. And it's, I, I mean, I, when I said to him, there would have had to have been more, truthfully, I wouldn't have sold myself that way mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. what you are saying is that somehow what you have provided me with purchases that time of my life and it pays off the suffering that I experienced yep. because you were closeted yep. and that's offensive mm -hmm. if it if it if it was offensive if it's ever been offensive in human history to own people and yep. to buy and sell people human beings then you know it's that uh, that's offensive. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. offensive. offensive. That, you yeah. Know, yeah. And, and there's a balance there too, because I think you've got to see it, but then you also have to recognize if a straight spouse starts coming out, well, you've taken everything away from me, mm -hmm. which I get that. But when a straight spouse starts going, but you've taken everything away from me now, my home, my heart, it's like, okay, get that too. But do you also start to see that other side of then that person's kind of in that same space. It's like, Okay, all the material stuff that I that defines who I am is what's most important to me. And I've seen that a lot too. And I'm not criticizing that. Yeah. It's just it's this interesting dynamic that starts to show up on both sides of the fences, which really typically, and when I get the beautiful opportunity to work with a couple and we can kind of shine the light on this, they suddenly start to see it. It's like, oh wow, this whole relationship. It wasn't anything but a sham, every piece of it. Right. We were so tied to the material and this and this and this, and there really wasn't anything there. And yes, you know, he or she, depending on what the situation is, happens to also be gay. And I think this is where the bridge building can really be powerful when you can say, okay, we get it. This is not good. This is not, it's hurtful. It's painful and all this, but let's really, what is it that is truly getting taken away here? So that we can yeah. work on the truth of what's getting taken away, not the material. I mean, yes, for some, the material. I mean, I'm, no. my wife hated me because we had to sell the house that we were in, but it was so apparent to her that that was so much more important than anything no. else. And we saw that go another direction because she became even more materialistic through this entire thing. Like that was the only thing that defined her. Well, I'm, I don't know how many of your listeners, you know, LGBTQ or straight spouse are going to just kill me for saying this or hate me for saying this, but I'm sorry. We are grownups. We mm -hmm. are adults. Yes. And if, and, and I did lose a significant, a huge standard of living drop, yep. you know, uh, material possessions, uh, financial security, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm a grown up. So I am going to, and I am, and I do 
provide that for myself. Mm-hmm. I am a grown up. Children are the only ones who get to free ride, yes. you know, and free freeload. You yep. know, as adults now, I mean, when you come into a collaborative situation where, you know, and which I did with my ex-husband, it was like, well, we both wanted one of the parents to stay home and take care of the kids, be, a, be the primary caretaker. And I was a high school teacher and he was a medical doctor. So there was no brainer there. I right, stayed right. home. Well, that's a collaborative thing. And there is a reality as well for a lot of straight spouses, especially straight spouse women, yes. when we have entered into that collaboration and then the kids are about to go off to college and our husbands come out of the closet. And then we, what we thought we, you know, we had sacrificed a lot of our earning and our yep. professional development. But again, all of those situation or all of those decisions, those are decisions that we made as adults. And yeah, it may not have, we may not have gotten the, you know, we didn't get to keep the financial security, but we're all adults and we're all grownups. And I know I'm going to assume you share this, Rick, because we're both life coaches. You know, we're both all about, or we're both about empowering our clients. And so, you know, when I work with my clients and they are, they have been put into a very disadvantaged position financially and professionally, et cetera. It's like, that sucks. That Uh sucks. And I am sorry that that has happened to you. Now, how can you, as an adult, what is available to you? You know, one of the other, you know, with that word responsibility, one of the Uh other things that I talk about in that chapter is I break it down. And the word responsibility means response yep. ability. Yep. So I will oftentimes ask my clients, what is available to you right now to do? Yep. Instead of focusing on crying and crying about what is no longer available to you, what is available to you right now? And what is available to you to do is your response ability. Mm-hmm. It's your ability to respond and therefore that makes it your responsibility. Exactly. You know, and I think that's a beautiful place for us to kind of come to a full circle here. So Adina, as we wrap it up, what would be a bridge you would really like to see happen in this unique world of the mixed orientation marriage when something comes apart? What would be a bridge you'd like to see people be able to step onto and go, okay, this is just an, a piece of solid ground that will help you get through it. Well, I would just reiterate, you know, everything we've been talking about in this whole episode. Yeah. For people to um, really stretch themselves and mm-hmm. um, flex that muscle, no matter how uh, small and unused it is, but that muscle of laying down your weapons. Mm-hmm. and taking responsibility and when someone when your spouse whether it's the lgbtq spouse or the straight spouse when the spouse lays down the weapons and gives you a ceasefire please stand up and own what you have done and and how you have wronged each other because that's really that's the first bridge that needs to be built before we really can, you know, start to heal these wounds. And, you know, I said this in our first episode and I'll just reiterate it again, Rick, I have to say so much of the reason why I wanted to connect with you and why I was so excited to 
speak with you the first time is when I read your book and I saw how well you did this. I saw just such a beautiful balance between you um, validating yourself and everything that you had gone through and all of the pressures that you suffered and buckled under. I saw you validate yourself and then I saw you take responsibility for the choices and decisions that you made and the actions that you took and who it hurt. And so, you know, I commend you for that. And it's, it's, it's 99% of the reason why I'm, you know, I have so much enjoyed connecting with you. Oh, same with you. And I I think the bridge I would love to see people and it's similar to what you just said, but uh, I would love to see people, truly ask themselves in these moments, this one question, how true is what I believe? Mm -hmm. If you really believe they intentionally did that, ask yourself, how true is that? If you really believe they're truly taking everything away, if you really believe that there's so many things. And then on the flip side for the gay spouse, if you truly, how true is it that they really hate you? How true is it that they'll never forgive you. How true is it that you will never be able to repair things? Because I think when you can ask the question, this is one of the questions I ask all my clients in different ways, doesn't matter if it's gay, straight, whatever, is to ask themselves, how true is that belief? Right. Because 90%, even more than 99% of the time, the beliefs we have, they are not near as true as we give them power. And if you believe you cannot, if you believe you cannot get through this without it being ugly and hateful and everything, I'm going to challenge you to ask that question. How true is it that you can't get through this without it being ugly and hateful? Because I'm not saying it's going to be painless. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but if you change the belief that it can be done from a place of understanding and love and compassion, suddenly, and as I say those words, I'm going to ask you to kind of all think about what I just said. When I say painful and angry and all this, your heart rate probably begins to heighten. And as soon as I say it comes from love and compassion and understanding, suddenly our body just hearing the words changes. And I think this is what Aideen and I are getting at is it's all about us owning stuff. And as Aideen said, laying down the gauntlets and going, okay, the weapons are down. Now let's start to see each other. Let's start to believe what we really need to believe is true. That at the end of the day, we just need and desire everyone to be in a better space. Yes. And I would add to that, nobody has to leave their mixed orientation relationship actually liking the other person. Mm -mm. You can be perfectly civil and Mm -hmm. very um, balanced and healthy and not in a relationship and not like the other person. Well, I'm so glad we had this. I think it's a perfect way to wrap up the pride season by saying, let's go build bridges, not barriers and walls. And that's not a political statement, but it is... (laughs) It is the way I feel. It could be a political statement, hint, hint. But um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, thank you, Aideen. Uh, and I just uh, love it. The book is again. Tell us the name of your book so everybody can remember that. It is my exquisite purple life insights from a woman who never made it or never should have made it, but did. Mm-hmm. And her her name is Aideen T. Finola, and love this. Love that we've had these conversations and. You never know where you might see the two of us in the future. So um, thanks so much for being here, Aideen. Really appreciate it. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, and it is time for all of us 
to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Unclogged. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping into living your life uncloseted.